0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Brad Zales, and I'm sitting in for Tom Cunningham today. And uh, just so you know, we like to interview the best, the movers and the shakers, people who are making a positive impact on our world today. Once again, my name is Brad Zalas. I am the author of Liquid Leadership, and I like to help companies and parents and everybody around the world understand those millennials. (laughs) millennials. <laughs> and uh, today I have a co-host with me, Mike Benton. Mike, you want to say a few words to our audience?
1: Absolutely.
0: And I truly appreciate being on here. I'm excited about
1: uh, who we have the pleasure of interviewing. And uh, I look forward to the next 40 minutes learning more about this gentleman. And uh, and that's about it. But I, I look forward to the next 45 minutes.
0: Good, good. We're excellent. Now, by the way, Mike is no slouch either. He just sold a real estate business, so he knows and has been sitting in the real estate uh, game for quite a while and the entrepreneur game as well. So let's get started. Those of you who are listening in, please get a pen and a piece of paper because you're going to want to take notes. And let me introduce our guest today, Rory Vaden. self disciplined strategist Rory Vaden speaks to audiences around the world about how they can leverage self-discipline to achieve their goals in life. His book, Take the Stairs, is the number one Wall Street Journal, number one on USA Today, and number two New York Times bestseller, and has been translated into 11 languages. As an entrepreneur, he is the co-founder of Southwestern Consulting, a multi-million dollar global consulting practice with nearly 100 team members that has helped over 7,000 clients in 27 countries to grow their businesses and provide a better customer service experience. Rory's insights on overcoming procrastination and increasing productivity have been featured on Fox & Friends, Oprah Radio, CNN, and in Fast Company, Entrepreneur, Forbes, Inc., Success magazines, and many other media outlets. As the founder of the Center for the Study of Self Discipline, his articles and insights average over 2 million views every month, and he is the weekly host of a top 25 business news podcast called Daily Discipline with Rory Vaden. Please welcome to our show today, Rory Vaden.
2: Wow, Brad! Thank you for that magnificent introduction. That was brilliant. That was outstanding. That was
0: exactly how we
2: wrote it, I suppose. And <laughs> it was—it's uh, a lot. You got the full story in.
0: Yes, I did. I tried to get the the big points in there. <laughs>
2: thank you. It's good to be here. I'm looking
0: forward. Excellent. Well, let's kick things off. I mean, I, I'm going to pick a fight with you. I'm going to go right for the for the big one. Okay. Oh. Your first okay. book, take the stairs. Uh, I love that, by the way, and it was literally an instant international bestseller. And it was all about the psychology of overcoming procrastination, improving self-discipline, and taking action. Which you know we all we all heard from our our parents and our teachers, uh, things we don't really like to do, <laughs> but we have to do. And but in your new book, it, you're, it's called "Procrastinate on Purpose," and you're telling us to take action now. <laughs> procrastination aren't those contradictory messages
2: mmm well that's I'm it's an interesting place to start from it's actually a great place to talk because um, as you say take the stairs is all about the psychology of overcoming procrastination and I said procrastination is the most expensive invisible cost in business today procrastination is the is what breeds mediocrity and so at first it is seemingly contradictory but here's the big distinction There is a a big difference between waiting to do something that we know we should be doing and we don't feel like doing it versus waiting to do something because we're deciding that now is not the right time. Waiting to do something that we know we should be doing but we don't feel like it, that's procrastination. Waiting to, you know, not going to the gym when we know we should go but we don't feel like it, that's procrastination. We know we should make that sales call but we have call reluctance. That's procrastination. We know we need to start on that project. We haven't started. That's procrastination. But um, waiting because we're deciding that now is not the right time, that's different. That isn't a, that killer of success. That actually is a virtue. It is a synonym for the phrase procrastinate on purpose, as a matter of fact. And that word is patience. So um, inaction that results from indulgence is procrastination. That is the killer of all success in action that results from intention, however, that is patience. And patience is giving ourselves room to breathe, giving us margin, giving us a space so that we can procrastinate on purpose with the things that do not matter, so that we can instead focus on the significant things that really do matter. And so that that is how the, the, the intersection point is of the two books. But it, it's still the same message about doing the things you know you should be doing. Even when you don't feel like doing them, take the stairs is all about how to do that. Procrastinate on purpose is really what to do with everything else so that you can get down to that. <sighs>
0: That's very interesting. And, you know, it, it harkens into the work that I do and a lot of comparisons because I see a difference between the way boomers are working and the way millennials are working, and it, it's, it's becoming overwhelming for one group. And another group seems to be not, uh, how can I say the word, uh, moving forward. It's seen they're, they look like multitaskers, but they're not getting a lot done.
2: Yeah, well multitasking is is a myth. It's one of several myths that, you know, we explode in 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 the book and there's two things that are radically different in procrastinate on purpose that, you know, I promise people is different than anything they've ever read. But on multitasking, um, you know, you're you're it is possible to do two things at once, right? It's like you can yeah. you can walk and talk at the same time, but it is not really possible for your brain to focus on two things at once. So, Um, What you really have is not multitasking. You basically have switchback. You're switching back and forth quickly. And the thing that people don't realize is that there is a cost. There is a time cost of switching back. Every time if I'm working on something on my computer and somebody walks into my office, they interrupt me. I have to disengage from what I'm doing, turn my attention, focus on them. Try to recalibrate to them entering the room and, and pay attention to try to understand what are they saying, um, and then you know digest what they are saying, and then kind of turn you know, process it. then when they leave, I turn back to the computer and reengage and so that cost is something that we refer to as intermittent change cost. Most people drastically underestimate. Um, the the amount of time that we waste just switching back and forth between activities. Um, in fact, some of the research says that as much as 28% of our time in a given week is lost to just switching back and forth between activities. So multitasking is an absolute myth, and it's, it's a dangerous one, and it is an invisible cost that is is sucking uh, productivity and profitability from organizations all over.
0: Wow. Wow. Think about that. How many times have you been interrupted and how long it takes to get back to the task you were working on? Think about that, folks. So, Mike, uh, before we started live, Mike was discussing uh, some of the things he wanted to ask you, Rory, as well as uh, they were looking at uh, your books in a, in a book club. Am I right, uh, Mike? You were talking about this earlier? Absolutely. When when I had the pleasure of plugging into one of
1: uh, one of the podcasts, and I learned about Mr. Baden. And cool. as soon as I saw the titles of both your books, I got both your books. I got the hardback books. I got like four of them. And I work with the unemployment office where we live, the three locations. And I thought about it. I said, you know what? This is a perfect book to bring to the unemployed Procrastinate on purpose, taking this. I, it just made so much sense. After six years, and I brought books like Think and Grow Rich, uh, Brian Tracy's book, you name it. I saw this book, and I went to the leaders, and I said, Do You have to buy this book. Well, they went and bought 50 copies.
0: Oh, yeah. And,
1: <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to keep we got a lot more orders coming. And we started the first week. It was Tuesday, uh, Monday this week. It's called Mondays with Mike. And uh, we started here. I, like I handed them all out to everybody, and they wanted to read them right there. So, we're going to do it over the next eight weeks. We're going to go from chapter to chapter, and we're going to apply it to helping these individuals get from unemployment to full time employment. And I believe your book is going to be one of the best books I've seen ever to help them do that. So I want to thank you for writing it, even though maybe that was not the intention, but I promise you, you're going to help a lot of people get back to work.
2: Well, thank you, Mike. That makes me feel good. And uh, that is awesome. And that is, that's exactly what we want is we want people to kind of break off into circles and, and, you know, discuss about how they can apply these things to their life and their business to, to move them forward and really create lives of significance, which, you know, procrastinate on purpose is the title of the book. Um, the subtitle is Five Permissions to Multiply Your Time, and that's really what the book is about. It's about how do we, how do we create more time by spending uh, you know time on the significant activities. Um, you know, Procrastinate on Purpose is only one of those five uh, permissions, which I, I, you know, I guess we'll probably dive into here in just a little bit.
1: Absolutely, and I appreciate that. And then the subtitle, the five permissions, are right on point for individuals that are going through a tough time and feel like there's no hope. So I, I tell you, I think it's perfect timing. Um, my question, though, is a little—it's a little different than the last one. The last one wonderful, but frankly, you know, there's a million books out there, and we like to call them uh, shelf help about mm-hmm. time management and productivity. But there is one very unique and distinctive difference about your book, Procrastinate on Purpose, that you guarantee to make um, it unlike anything anyone else has read. Can you share that with us?
2: Yeah, yeah. There's actually a couple things. One, one really, you know, massive change. And 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 to, in order to understand that, we kind of gotta do a little quick mini walkthrough of the history of time management theory. So era one, time management thinking, was very one-dimensional. It was all about m- managing your time by doing things efficient, right? How to fit more in. And efficiency was the core strategy. And it developed in the late 50s and 60s, kind of uh, as on the heels of the manufacturing era, right? And it was all about do things faster. Well, that was the predominant strategy until really the late 90s and And that is when the late Dr. Covey wrote his perennial bestseller, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which pretty much single-handedly ushered in a new era of time management thinking, which wasn't managing your time but prioritizing your time. And Dr. Covey uh, introduced two-dimensional thinking in which he created this framework, this diagram where the y-axis was importance and the x-axis was urgency. And it was a little scoring system by which we could evaluate each of our tasks to determine their importance and their urgency and then focus first on what matters most. And both of those things are great and they but but the world has evolved. I mean the world has changed. Think about how different the world is today from 1989 when 7 habits first came out. And I mean there's no cell phones, there's no social media, there's you know no internet, there's barely computers. I mean the world has changed drastically and what we have, what we are seeing is an emergence of a new type of thinker that uh, we are calling them a multiplier because they don't manage time and they don't prioritize time. They have learned how to multiply their time. And the big difference is that there's nothing wrong with efficiency, right? Like era one thinking, it, the idea of doing things efficient, all things being equal, efficiency is better. It's just that there's a point of diminishing returns to efficiency, which is evidenced very well by the fact that all of us carry around many computers in our pockets, these cell phones, and yet we're, and we're moving as fast and efficiently as ever before because of technology, and yet we seem to be falling further and further behind. We're never caught up. We don't have more margin in our life now. We have less. Um, well, prioritizing is also a very good skill, focusing first on what matters most. And prioritizing has been thrown around as like the end-all be-all, you know, to time management strategy for the last, you know, really 20 years. But there is also a limitation that we've started to notice with prioritizing, and that is this. There is nothing about prioritizing that creates more time. All prioritizing does is take item number seven on your to-do list, and it bumps it up to number one. But there's nothing inherently of itself that creates more time. And that is what has brought us to what we are calling era three time management thinking which is multiplying your time and it's really a calculation of significance so it adds to sort of the framework of importance and urgency if y-axis is importance and the x-axis is urgency then significance is the z-axis it gives it depth it takes that two-dimensional model and it makes it into a cube and um, if importance is how much does something matter And urgency is how soon does something matter. Then significance is how long does something matter. And most of us, if you absent the significance calculation, we inappropriately overweight the urgency calculation. In other words, we end up falling victim to whatever is latest and loudest. And if you think the way that most of us create our to-do lists, most of us assemble our to-do lists by asking the question, what's the most important thing I have to do today? But that's not how multipliers think. That type, if you only make the importance calculation and the urgency calculation, what you're doing is you are confining yourself to the paradigm of only thinking about today. Multipliers break out of that construct and they instead make the significance calculation, which forces them to think about tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So they don't ask themselves, what's the most important thing I can do today? What multipliers ask is they say, what can I do today that creates more time for me tomorrow or more results for me tomorrow? It's kind of about leverage and exponential growth. And that, that significance calculation is very different. It is it's, it's something that intuitively we understand, and maybe there are certain times when we have made calculations. Well, we, we definitely have. There are some times when we realize that there's just certain things I have to do because they matter. But the, we don't consciously make that calculation. And so while it is true that you cannot create more time inside of one day, we all have the same 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds. And none of us can do anything to create more time in one day. But that's exactly the point, is you can get outside of the construct by realizing there are things I can do today that will free up my time tomorrow. That is to multiply the time. That is all about the significance calculation. It's thinking longer term, and the significance calculation changes everything.
0: You know, Rory, this is fascinating what you're talking about. And to some of our audience that's listening, uh, they may not see that there's a big difference, uh, or even a reason to change the way you you handle time. And I talk about this in my first book, Liquid Leadership. I talk about the the, the industrial age model, which, uh, if anybody knows about uh, the history of all this, there's Frederick Winslow Taylor. He was like the first management consultant to come out of the industrial age, and his attitude was employees at the very bottom are pretty much uh, cattle, and they just need to be driven, told what to do, Uh, just shut up and do your job, is really what uh, it was all about. And this is something I like to talk about, and that is where you were in the industrial age model, where you were, determined what your task was. So if you were at work, you were expected to work. And when you came home, you were sitting with your wife, having dinner, playing with the kids, and that, that was it. But now we've had this huge crossover where you can bring your work home, and your computer allows you to do work from a coffee shop. And so time management becomes a very different paradigm. And what I have seen is that boomers are sitting next to Gen X and millennials, And they see them working faster, quicker. And this is only a perception. It's not the truth. They watch how they're working and they begin to emulate it. And if there's any boomers listening, you're probably exhausted because you have to check your email. You have to know which ones to delete. Uh, You know, you're jumping from one thing to the other because we really haven't been trained in this new paradigm of time management. And productivity, and I think it's really important that people go out and get your book, Rory. Uh, Procrastinate on purpose. Five permissions to multiply your time. Because if you don't know what has changed, you need to learn it quickly. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, you, you, you it, it is the world has changed, and you cannot solve today's time management problems with yesterday's time management strategies. It just doesn't work. It, the, the world is evolving, is changing, and is changing rapidly now I would say though to you boomers that it it doesn't necessarily mean you're at some sort of a disadvantage the 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 Gen Xers and the Gen Yers we have grown up in a world of constant distraction and it has given it has given birth to what we call in in procrastinating on purpose actually we coined this phrase and take the stairs priority dilution priority dilution is the chronic overachievers procrastination. Procrastination used to be just for like the lazy people or they were apathetic or they were disengaged or unmotivated or whatever. And so they didn't get stuff done. They were putting it off. Well, today, priority dilution is a much bigger problem. And that is we have a bunch of people who are working long hours. They're trying really hard. And and yet they their priorities are diluting. They, they leave They leave at the end of the day with their most significant priorities left unchecked not out of laziness, but because they have either consciously or unconsciously allowed their attention to give way to less significant, but perhaps more urgent tasks, which is exactly the, the, what we've been talking about. In the, in the absence of being able to make the significance calculation, we inappropriately overweight the urgency calculation. That is the definition of priority dilution, is always falling victim to whatever is latest and loudest. Always putting out fires is the term that our coaching clients use. And so... The advantage that boomers have, I think, is boomers have a more natural predisposition to make the significance calculation because they didn't grow up in a world where you know checking Facebook before you get out of bed in the morning was done by forty-eight percent of the people in the world. Um, so you, we need to understand you know all the dynamics, but patience is a lost art, and it is something that uh, can work you know to our advantage. And so I actually think. If you look at the focus funnel, which we can we can talk through, the sure. automate section is probably where there is a there's a that is a little bit more where the boomers have to work to to kind of keep up or 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 be educating themselves or learning. Um, but overall, I don't think there's necessarily a, an advantage between to Gen Xers or to boomers. If anything, I would probably say that boomers are more likely to be predisposed to focus on the significant things. The Gen Xers and the Gen Yers are, are, you know, in a generalization, they're going to be more predisposed to the urgent things. Um, And so it's a change for all of us.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, you talk about that in the book. The productivity in the next generation is as much about deciding what not to do as it is about deciding what to do and uh, I love when you expand on that, and uh I know Mike has a few questions, and we can go into the focus funnel uh mike you wanna you wanna go through this with Rory?
1: Absolutely. you know, I' was sitting there taking notes, and uh the conversation that you know what what you were just talking about about the multitasking at the time cost and you going into the importance, the urgency, and significance that's that's to me, a major breakthrough for a lot of people. They can really wrap their head around that uh, because we are in a now society for a lot of people where the squeaky wheel gets the oil. You get up, you check your Facebook, you check your email, so now you're really buying into somebody else's schedule. Right. But
2: yeah, you're in, really your in your inbox
1: like. like that. Yeah,
2: so your in, your inbox is nothing other than a way to organize other people's priorities. <laughs>
1: That's
0: exactly. <laughs> <a, laughs>
1: Yes. I knew I heard it somewhere. It was you. Um, but if you could just help a little bit, because I think it's so important. Uh, Brad just m- mentioned about, about the, the focus funnel, and I thought that was so amazing when somebody like myself, I have a business, I have kids, I'm elected official, I, I'm on a couple committees, i got church, I got all these moving parts. And I, when I really read and really dove into the focus funnel, can you just briefly walk us through that? I think it's so important for people to really understand that.
2: Sure. Yeah. And what I'll do, I'll just give a kind of a high-level overview of the whole thing, and then and then Mike, you could pick and choose the parts we could do a deeper a deeper dive in after. So, um, if you think picture a funnel, okay, and at the top part, uh, and, and what the focus funnel is, first of all, is it was our attempt to codify the unconscious thought process that multipliers were using. Instantaneously to evaluate which things they should spend time on and which ones they they are not really like worth their time, Um, and so if you picture a funnel, at the top of the funnel is eliminate, and so all the tasks like if all of your tasks are coming into the funnel, you at the top you have eliminate, Uh, and that's the first question is can I eliminate this task? Is it even worth doing? If it can't be eliminated, then it drops down into the middle of the funnel, and that section is what we call automate and that is basically, can I create a system to take care of this so, so that next time I don't have to? If it can't be automated, then it drops down to the bottom of the focus funnel, which is delegate, and that is, well, can I basically train somebody else how to do this? If I can't eliminate, automate it, or delegate it, then that task falls out the bottom of the funnel, and at that point, you have a task that you know must be done, and it must be done by you. But there is one very significant Remaining question, and that question is: Must this task be done now, or can it wait until later? If the task must be done now, then we call that concentrate. That's the permission to protect. That is, you know, focus and eliminate distractions. It's, it's all of the things you you typically read about when you read about sort of time management theory, right? It's, it's about focus, um, and that's. But that's not nearly as fascinating to me as the other one, which is if if the task can wait until later. Then what we learn from multipliers and this is where we are inviting you and encouraging you and challenging you to not eliminate, automate, delegate, or concentrate, but to procrastinate on purpose. If it can wait, if it can wait, then we're suggesting that you should let it wait. And so we we call that pop. You procrastinate on purpose, and so you pop that activity. You don't procrastinate on it forever though. You pop it back to the top of the funnel. And then that activity enters into a holding pattern by which it's cycling through the focus funnel. Um, And then it will be in that holding pattern until one of the other four strategies eventually will be executed, right? It'll either, if the answer to the question, can this wait till later, is always yes, and it continues to be yes, and it's it's never urgent enough that it must be done now, then very often what you realize is, you develop the confidence to do what you should have done in the first place, which was eliminate the task. Um, or what will happen is a system, a technology will be developed, or somebody will come up with a process to automate it, or somebody else will step up and they will they will do the task, which is essentially delegating. Or the answer to the question "Can this wait till later?" will shift from "Yes, it can" till "No, this can't." At some point, it'll say "We've waited as long as we can. Now this must be done." And at that point, it will drop down into. Concentrate, so the focus funnel again, is, is a visual representation of the mindset of a multiplier, because the challenges of, of productivity today uh, have, in, have increased, but so have our tools to handle those challenges, and the focus funnel is you know the signature framework for that.
0: It's 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 powerful. I think. I mean, Mike, you can probably back me up on this. I get more work done from my smartphone because I have the tools now today to do uh, two or three emails and a phone call, which used to take me two hours. I do in fifteen minutes now.
1: Okay. A- absolutely, and, and if I have the opportunity, I know we're 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 pushing the time. You know, the automate that you mentioned there, and You're talking about Infusionsoft and all that. I, I absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think the struggle that I see with, with myself and with a lot of people is really the the, the delegate part. You know, mm-hmm. there's an emotional side to that where, you know, I know you mentioned in the book where it doesn't have to be perfect, you know, and a lot of people will say they can't afford this or it's not. Can you go a little bit more in depth on the delegate part of this?
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, eliminate is the one that we have the widest swath of opportunity for immediate margin in our life. And, and the way that that's multiplying time is, you know, any, you multiply time by any, doing something today that creates more time tomorrow. So if I can develop the courage to say no today, then that creates more time tomorrow. Um, and then automate and, and automate basically, you know, one of the catchphrases from the book is we say that automation is to your time exactly what compounding interest is to your money. Um, but the delegate one is very emotional, as you, as you say, Mike, because if I asked the average leader or entrepreneur or business owner or salesperson or whatever, if if, if I went up to them, and I said, Hey, are there things that you're doing in your business personally that could be done by somebody else? If you train them, um, most of them would say, well, yeah, of course there are. And then if you ask them, well, why don't you do that? So why don't, why don't you, why don't you delegate it to them? And they would say, you know, Typically, you you know, the first thing a lot of times they say is they say, well, I don't have time. Like, it's just faster for me to do this myself. Um, And so let's break that part of it down, first of all, um, using something that we call the 30 X rule. So the 30 X rule suggests that you should consider spending 30 times the amount of time it takes you to do the task once on training somebody else how to do that task. So. If I have a task that takes me five minutes every day, okay, and I just do it, it's five minutes, the 30X rule says that I should be willing to spend 30 times five, 150, 150 minutes training someone else to do that task so they could do it for me. Now, here is where the big defining point happens in the paradigm shift between multipliers and everybody else. Most of us, most of us would say, Why in the world would I spend 150 minutes, two and a half hours, teaching somebody how to do a task that I could just do in five minutes? That doesn't make any sense. And and my response would be, that's right. It doesn't make any sense if you don't make the significance calculation. If you only live in a world of urgency, that is if you only live inside the construct or the paradigm of one day, then what is happening there is it never makes sense to spend two and a half hours training somebody because you could just do the task in five minutes. However, when you make the significance calculation and you start thinking longer term, the significance calculation changes everything. So here's what I mean. If you're spending five minutes a day on the task, it doesn't seem like that much. But if you, if you work 250 days in a year, okay, so let's say there's 250 working days, then you're spending five minutes a day on that task. Over the course of the year, you're going to spend 1,250 minutes on that task. So the question then shifts. Once you make the significance cal- like absent the significance calculation, living in a world of urgency, the question you say is: I could either spend two and a half hour, I could either spend 150 minutes training someone to do it, or I could spend five minutes and I could do it. And the answer is obvious. You go, I'll just do it. But when you make the significance calculation, you realize that the, the real question is, over the course of one year, I can spend 1,250 minutes doing it myself, or I can spend 150 minutes training somebody else to do it. And there the answer is equally obvious, but completely opposite. It's, well, of course I would spend the time training, because I'm I, by spending 150 minutes on training them how to do it... Uh, instead of spending 1,250 minutes doing it myself, I have a net gain of 1,100 minutes. So if if we were to evaluate this the way that we would evaluate a financial investment, I am investing 150 minutes. I am getting back 1,100 minutes. That is a 733% ROI, or to use the phrase that we use and, and Pop and procrastinate on purpose. ROTI, which is return on time invested, the way that wealthy people think about money and investments is the exact same way that a multiplier thinks about time. So that was perfect. You know, that
1: was perfect. It makes
2: it so. So so that answers the question in terms of you know. Uh, why you know if somebody says i don't have time to do it it's 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 funny that we use that excuse. The very excuse that we use for not delegating to somebody is the exact opposite of how it really is. The reality is you can't afford the time not to train them uh and not to delegate them because that, it's going to cost you way more to do it yourself um, so what it really comes down to with delegation, which is what you were you know alluding to mike is what it really comes down to is the idea that most of us uh we have the feeling well this would just be better if you know i can just do it better myself they won't be able to do it as well as i can and again that is only true if you don't make the significance calculation it is true that today you probably will be able to do it better than them on their first try and maybe tomorrow on their second try and their third try but when you make the significance calculation and you think longer term what you it becomes obvious that they, just like you were able to learn how to do it, they will be able to learn how to do it. And not only that, they'll probably get better at it than you were because they're going to be more specialized because they have fewer tasks that they are focused on on their plate. And and so it really is the permission of the imperfect. That is the permission that goes with delegate. It is giving yourself permission to have that little window where somebody else is doing it, and they won't be doing it as well as you only for a short term, though. Or to summarize it, the way that one of the multipliers did in the interviews uh, that we profiled—you know—we profiled a few a few of these people in the book, but we did lots of these interviews. One of the multipliers said, "80 percent done by somebody else is always better than 100 percent done by me." That's the permission of imperfect.
0: Wow, and it, and it sounds like you're really looking at the value of, of what you're delegating and the return on that value
2: hmm yeah that's exactly right You're you are like I said the, the way the way that wealthy people think about money is the same way that a multiplier thinks about time it's significant it's longer term just like just like a wealthy person knows if I'm gonna spend five dollars today I could spend the five dollars today or if I invest that five dollars because of compounding interest you know if I invested five dollars at something like a ten percent you know rate of return that $5 30 years from now would be worth $50. So their thinking is I could spend $5 today or I can invest the $5 and turn that $5 into $50 30 years from now. Um, and so it's a completely different set of calculations. It's why the rich get richer. It's why the world's multipliers create exponential results in their life, and they get more money and more time and more margin and bigger results and bigger businesses. Meanwhile, everyone else is sort of stuck on the hamster wheel running, and, and we're, we're all trying to just do things faster. We're, we're still stuck in paradigm, you know, era one time management thinking.
0: Yes. Rory, this has been fantastic. We're going to close. How can people get a hold of you? What's the best place to, uh, to get a hold of Rory Vaden?
2: Ah, you know, um, w- one of the things that we did, and I would really, this would be what I would I- advise people to do, is give yourself the permission to go to procrastinateonpurpose.com. And if you go to procrastinateonpurpose.com, we are giving away a completely free one-hour webinar. And you can see the focus funnel. I walk you through all the steps because this stuff is pretty radical and so we felt like we need to make it available so people could at least get their minds around it in this one hour. So if you go to procrastinateonpurpose.com, you can watch the webinar and then from there there'll be links if you want to buy the book or, you know, I do a weekly podcast so people can subscribe to my show or follow me on Twitter, I blog three times a week so I have, you know, they can get plugged into my blog or podcast and all that stuff from there. So I would just say go to procrastinateonpurpose.com and, and watch the webinar.
0: Great. Well, And I'd like to close out with this question, Mike, and I I, I think this is fascinating because I know you travel all over the world, and I love it. It's the first sentence of the book, and you say, everything you know about time management is wrong. Can you tell us what myths about time management you've run into outside of the United States that, that maybe is astounding to you?
2: Oh, you're speaking outside of the U.S. specifically?
0: Yes, yes. Because some of us travel all over the world, and being in the United States, it's very easy to think in the industrial age mindset. But if you go to Asia and other countries, even Australia, time management is a very different uh, construct.
2: Well, it is, and I you know, the first thing that comes to mind is this cultural norm in much of Europe, where they take naps in the afternoon and they close the stores, you know, like in the in the middle of the afternoon, and they they give them they basically they they it's like their attitude and mindset is that rest is a priority and that is something that would be reflective of multipliers you know sleep is a way to multiply your time it seems counterintuitive that by sleeping I would be losing time but multipliers have realized that by giving themselves permission to rest it it amplifies the the speed and the effectiveness at which they do everything else so in Europe it's sort of a similar thing is they 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 have embraced the idea that rest is is a, is a vital part of productivity but in the US it's like our our general paradigm is era 1 just work longer more faster better bigger longer faster better um and 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 yet you know and 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 that counts for a lot, you know don't get me wrong I mean that is you know the take the stairs book is is the book that is the kick in the butt, and tells you how to get to work and helps you realize that you know self discipline isn't hard as we think we you know how to think about it the right way, but there is also this very this very relevant paradigm and argument and construct of doing things like rest and and that there is a point of diminishing returns. To the efficiency strategy, and that is the part I think that is really uh, a mindset of in the U.S. that needs to change because we're all we're 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 all like a bunch of juggling hamsters sprinting towards an inevitable crash landing because we're always just trying to do faster and more. And I think we really have a lot to learn from some of these other cultures that give themselves space, they give themselves time to breathe. It's okay to step back. They're okay with margin because they realize that that. That also is a critical component of productivity.
0: Wow. Rory Vaden, thank you so much for being on today's show. Everybody, please go to ProcrastinateOnPurpose.com and get all the freebies over there. Go get the book. As a matter of fact, once you've decided and you watch all this... And you absorb it. you got to learn all the details and the tricks to get ahead and and learn and learn to rest as well. I want to thank my co-host, Mike Benton. Mike, thank you so much for being on today's podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, Rory, I look forward to seeing your bus
1: in the D.C. area soon.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me. And, you know, just remember, no matter who you are or what you've been doing, success is never owned. Success is only rented, and the rent is due every
0: day. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for being on Journey to Success. Take care. Bye-bye.